All right. Good morning, church. So good to be with you guys. How you guys doing? It's great to see your faces. So my name is Zach. I have the honor of being campus pastor here at this church. Today uh, we have. We just. I want to start off with something special. Um, I have two full-time missionaries with us who are part of Mountain Gateway, and so I want to invite up Jerry and Liz. So I just, I just wanted to highlight this wonderful couple. They belong to us and our church family at One Chapel. Uh, Austin is where they normally worship. But I, I invited them out just to kind of do a little snapshot interview, lightning round, of what they're doing and what God is calling them into. And then just kind of um, sort of highlight some, some unique things in their story. And they're also here to... Uh, you know, they're full-time missionaries. And so if during this time, if you sort of feel stirred, hey, I want to commit to partnership with you in prayer, I would really invite you to do that. That is the most powerful thing we can do for missionaries is pray for them. You guys believe that? Rachel and I were full-time missionaries. It's like, I'll take your prayers. Like, that's the most important thing. But it also takes financial partnership as well. And so if your heart's plucked, hey, I want to, like, I know, I want to, like, actually just help support you. Uh, Please do that. And then we're, we're going to, after this, we're going to jump into the words, so don't worry. But I just wanted to, uh, to just start off, who are you guys in a snapshot? Uh, what's just a quick kind of like synopsis of your story? Yeah, so uh, we're Jerry and Liz. We're with Mount Gabriel, as you said. But uh, we started dating in 2020, and the Lord really called me to missions. And I told her that, and she decided to follow me into it. And uh, we're just stepping forward into what God's called us to do. And... Uh, this is where we're at now. It's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so for, for you guys, uh, just if you don't know, Mount Gateway is local, and they're an, an incredible missionary organization that trains missionaries to be church planners yes. um, all around the world. It's yeah. a really fantastic um, move of God in this ministry. So I wanted to ask you guys, what do you believe that God is sort of in, in the midst of this, you know, this beautiful world of, and this commitment and missions? Like, what's God calling you into? Mm. Uh, we believe that God is calling us into a position where we can take care of missionaries that are in the field. And in order to get there, we do have to be in the field ourselves first and really get a firsthand experience so that we know what missionaries need. Yeah, totally. So good. Isn't that cool? Like Sort of like missionary pastors for other missionaries. It's just fantastic. You know, one of the things that marks uh, their story, particularly Jerry, and I'm sure maybe both of you guys, but something that I, I think that um, I'm going to touch on in our message today. But there is this thing called the orphan spirit. Have you ever heard of that? And so it's basically like that's sort of Christianese, but it's, it's this, this spirit, this strategy of the enemy to help make us feel helpless and deeply rejected. And it's pervasive in our generation, and we're going to unpack that a little bit in a second here. But Jerry has entered into this vulnerable place where he is, he's looked that stuff in the eye, and he's allowed God to sort of like redeem and transform him um, out of that spirit of, of orphanhood into his identity as a son. So would you just share that a little bit? Share, share a snapshot about that? Yeah. So I just want to state off, I'm not an orphan. <laughs> yeah. Both my parents are amazing and they love me, but... Um, yeah, the orphan spirit really just comes in, it attacks your identity. Um, and with God, it talks, it really comes against the fact that you're not a son. 
um, and that you're not his child. Um, and typically in, in my life, it did that by um, identifying my sins. And instead of me identifying as a child of God, it, I was identifying with what I had done. Um, and right. so the, really right. the best way to get over that is to recognize that Jesus paid for it. Is there a cross here? No, okay. Jesus paid for it on the cross, and then that sets my identity, not the things that I've done, or even the things that like, we are doing in, in missions. You know, it's, it's yeah. God's love for us that totally. identifies us. So good, so good. I love it. The last question, so kind of just um, looking at your story and what God has been calling you into and, and missions, and then in light of some of these, these features of, uh, of your transformation, what do you want to do and share in missions moving forward? So one thing that we want to do is we want to help other people to get past that orphan spirit as well. We'll be walking into countries where people really identify mm. with, or they define their identify identity with their religion or with their families or with their heritage. Right. And so breaking them free from that and helping them to focus and move forward and continue in the identity of Christ. Amen. Isn't that powerful? So good. Let's give it up for... This wonderful couple, thank you guys. <clears throat> thank you, sir. So as just as a reminder, if you feel like you want to partner, you know, if we're not, if we're not going to go on missions, we, we need to send missions. And so they're going to be in the back. They have some brochures and stuff like that, just what they're doing. And uh, I just, we are family and we support our missionaries. So I just wanted to highlight them. So uh, awesome. Let's jump in here. We're going to continue in a teaching series called Wonder, and we have been talking and exploring what it looks like to be awakened to worship. And I, my heart is like so, as a pastor, my heart is so full with just these little testimonies. Some are big testimonies of people, there's people's hearts being awakened to this reality of worship. It's, you start to like, your soul starts to join in with the atmosphere of heaven. You're like, oh my gosh, I've never been more alive. I'm worshiping. And it's not just songs, it's your whole life. <laughs> and even, I, there was this one um, guy in our, in, our, in our community and I, I asked him a question and um, asked him what he was excited about in, in this series and particularly this one day. And he was like, I'm excited because I felt like singing. <laughs> And as a pastor, I'm just like, I love this. Like, this is, and, and, then, and then I followed up, like, why, why, is, like, why is, are you excited about that, that you want to sing? And it's like, well, I haven't sung in 20 years. <laughs> and he, in, in, in this series and what God's doing in this moment with us as a church, it's like provoking uh, hearts that have been sort of like more stoic maybe just to awaken. And I just find that so beautiful. And, and there's like that side of the spectrum and then others who are like, I've never knelt before and I've, I'm kneeling at the altar and I'm just experiencing something brand new in my life and I'm seeing the power of God in my life. And so it's just been so cool to see oh, this reality of awakening to worship. It's not just like, oh, this is, this is a cute sermon idea. You know, it's like, no, we, we are a people who worship God. And so today we're gonna talk about spirit-filled worship. And y'all, let me just tell you, I, uh, I did some, some study on, uh, in the Bible, and like, particularly Acts 2. And like, I probably have enough material for about three or four sermons because <laughs> there's just so much in Acts 2. There's so much about this concept. 
But I felt like God in his kindness and in his leadership was leading, leading me into a particular place. Um, so we, I can't, maybe in the future we're gonna kind of go a little bit deeper in some of, the, some of these concepts, some of these like blaring ideas. But today we're gonna talk about one angle and I'll get there in a minute. But before we do, let's read some scripture, yeah? So would you stand for the reading of God's word? And I'm going to read from Romans chapter 15, verse 13. And uh, it's fun because one of the guys in our worship, in our prayer group this morning came in. He's like, I have a verse on my heart. And it was this verse. He didn't know that I was actually starting it with this, just unity in the spirit. So let's, uh, let's read this together. This is Paul exhort, exhorting the, the church. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we just come with uh, hearts accord underneath the banner that you are the God of hope. Even when we don't feel it, even when it doesn't seem to make sense in our, in our world right now, in our hearts right now, we know that you are faithful and you are the God of hope. And so, Lord, thank you that you promise. May you be filled with hope and joy and peace as we what? We trust in you, God. Help us to overflow with this. And we thank you that this happens by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so today, would you speak? Would you tenderize hearts? Would you be with me, God? I need you, Father. And I pray that we just leave changed and we spill out as the light of the kingdom of God in our dark world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Spirit-filled worship. It's like a crystal that I'm holding. There's just so many angles, but we're going to talk about one particular. To start off, the last 10 years, just think, just try to wrap your mind, just the last 10 years in our world, not a lot has happened. Them, you know, it's been just like a boring decade. Nothing's happened. No, ten, ten, the last 10 years, last 10, 20 years, it has been like, it's unspeakable how fast things have changed, right? And it's interesting, I kind of became, um, kind of came into adulthood in the midst of all of this exponential change. And, you know, I think of the invasion of the iPhone, <laughs> right? It's like transformed everything, social media, the internet. Uh, I was talking with my dad, you know, as millennials, we are adapted to these things, but we have Gen Z who are native in these things. They don't know a world outside of this stuff. There's so much that's happened in the last 10 years. I feel like secularism has sort of multiplied. This is the decentralizing of Christian values and, and uh, Judeo-Christian values. There's a lot of other things. This is the continuous breakdown of the family unit, and we can go on and on and on. Uh, there's a lot of different things going on in the last decade. And I think that this, in many ways, have, has taken a very destructive toll on our, on our society and even our, our, our psychology, and particularly, particularly on the younger generation. How many of you guys know that there is a war against hope in our cultural moment? We have a God of hope, but the enemy knows that. It's like, I don't want you to fix your eyes on God. I want you to fix your eyes on your situation and identify with those things. 
and be uncertain. I feel like uncertainty is just like this mid-grade feeling that we constantly carry, right? I'm not the only one. It's just uncertainty everywhere. And practically speaking, and maybe psychologically speaking, or at least sociologically, our generation is in the middle of the greatest mental health crisis that the world has probably ever seen. Our church, this community, feels it. As a servant and as a pastor here, I am very, I'd say I'm very aware of it. There's just a tremendous amount of mental health issues. The church feels it. Our society feels it. Our ministries feel it. I feel it. And I I just don't think that anyone feels it more, though, than the emerging generation of our country. And so I want to share with you some data, okay? Some of you data nerds are going to love this. Maybe not the the actual content, but the mode. Um, But, and so I got this from from some ongoing open source research from psychologist Jonathan Haidt. And so I want to show you this first um, graph here. The percentage of U.S. graduates diagnosed with mental mental, um, illness. So just in the last 10 years, anxiety has increased by 134%. Depression by 106% just in the last 10 years. Along with schizophrenia and bipolar disease and all these other things. Just, we're talking about just doubling. <laughs> the next graph is this US teens who battle with major depression. Girls are, it's skyrocketing how many young girls are dealing with depression. And in the last 10 years, it has gone increased by 145%. And boys, 161%. It's wild. Suicide is also on the rise. Um, Ages 10 to 14 in my graph here. We're talking 10 to 14 suicide. Actually accomplishing this ideation. 109% increase since 2010. Girls, 134% increase since 2010. And this also, the, 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 this, I'm a pastor, so I could use this language, but like, I feel like it's a curse on our generation. There's, there is a lot of things sociologically, of course, at play, but why is this happening at this level? And it's also connected with self-harm and admitted to the hospital self-harm. Like we're really, really hurting ourselves here. Ages 15 to 19, girls increased by 48%, boys 37%. They want to feel something. We are living in one of the greatest epidemics that we have ever seen. It is not a disease. It is not a virus. It is anxiety, depression, suicide, and self-harm. And so on top of all of that, we are also going to see, I came across this research, that we're going to see about 1 million young people leave the church this year. And the number one reason is not based on theological, you know, propositional, you know, ideas or apologetics. It's not those things. It's actually they just don't find Jesus compelling. Why not? He's the most compelling human and God that the world has ever seen, right? Well, maybe it's we're not representing him well. And actually, I'm pretty grieved by that. They're not 
seeing the church and Jesus as compelling. So they're leaving the church. And for those young people who have never been in the church, they're not really thinking about coming through the doors, so to speak, because they don't think the church can help. And so it's time to reclaim our identity as the body of Christ and truly emanate and embody and emanate the compelling reality of the Savior of the world. This is who we are. We are hopeful. We are helpful. We are compelling. It's time to step into that as a church. What is it about that, that Jesus community, One Chapel Lake Travis, I'm so compelled by them. There is a power, there is a love, there is a, there is a hope that fills my heart when I'm around these people. It's so contagious. I'm so curious. I need to go. I'm attracted to this. I'm repelled, but I'm also attracted to this. I'm strengthened by them. Let us be those people. And so we need to recover, and we need to go back and recover what the church is supposed to be. Everyone who's paying attention knows that the church is in the middle of a huge change. The pandemic basically solidified that, that transformation and that shift. So the church is changing, but the truth isn't changing. And so we go back to the scripture and we reclaim our identity and recover what the church is supposed to be. And we ask God, we partner with him to repeat his good day, deeds in our day, right? So I think, though, one of the reasons, one of the reasons that the church has stopped being compelling is because in some ways, in some parts, not all of it, but in some places, the, the church has been emptied of its power. And it's been emptied of God's tangible presence. It's just a bunch of rituals and things like that. It's stuck in these like man-made mechanisms of, of religion. And so it's lost some authenticity. It's lost that raw hunger for the presence of God and a, and a devotion. I'm willing to die for this kind of devotion, right? And so the next generation can smell this lack of authenticity a mile away. And so I'm just, I'm just putting, like I'm putting my stake in the ground, whatever the expression is, and I'm saying that will not happen. Let this not be of us. We will not be this kind of church. We will reclaim our identity and go back to what God has called us to do. But in light of all these things, and I know this is a little bit heavy, so bear with me. But in light of all of this, there's things going on in Turkey, all the different like uncertainty with geopolitical things, all, like all of the, there's so many things, right? But how many of you guys know that God's still on the move? He's still faithful. He's still moving. He's still restoring. He's still, he's still move, advancing the kingdom of God. He's still advancing his church into the dark world. And if there's anything, I, if there's anything that I've realized that I know about the presence of God, this advancing and this presence of God, God comes and awakens where he's wanted. Please hear me. <laughs> if you want the presence of God, Want him. Amen. God, I want you. I need you. I can't do this on my, on my own. It's a desperation. It's a pursuit. It's a faith. It's an excitement. It's a wonder. 
And when we do this, when it's not just like, okay, I have my life, maybe just plus a little bit of Jesus. No, when I, I am fixated on God, his presence pours out. And that's gonna be the case of our church. That's the prayer. So just pray with me real quick. Lord, we come and pray. And we just say, you are welcome here. We need you, God. We cannot do this without you. We want you. We delight in you. We enjoy you. All of our first love and wonder comes from you. Our pleasure comes from you. We need you in this place. Would you bring healing power? Would you bring your fire? We love you. We delight in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God is still on the move. Um, how many of you guys have heard about what's going on in Asbury, Asbury University? Show me your hands. So there is the spark of a flame of revival taking place in Asbury. There, so on Wednesday, they had their normal chapel at this, this small university. They had their chapel, and then apparently the presence of God pours out in this place, and they just keep playing, and they've literally kept playing for the last four days. And people are coming to Jesus, professors who are there. I didn't even know that I was distant from God. I'm repenting. I'm like restoring my faith in God. And people are just coming there in droves. And Rachel was like telling, she was like, have you seen what's going on? I was like, I'm, I am. She's like, I'm watching this stuff online and I feel God's presence through like my phone. Like God's presence. And it's not like something fancy. It's not, oh, look how great this production is or something. It's just, it's a hunger. Of course, it's the sovereign move of the Father, but it's also like a hunger. And so I've been so captivated. I want to show you a picture. This is the first one of the congregation. I'm just moved. It's, we need this. And that young man in the front, I just feel like he has so much courage. He's just like, I need to go, and I, just, I need to come and lay myself before him. God. And the next picture, <laughs> they're all coming up and experiencing a deep repentance, a glory, I think. And one of the things, I, I, I watched this video of a testimony of one of the students there, and he said that it's one of the, the like, markers of what's happening at this revival that's taking place right now, y'all, is that there, it's a deep humbling before the Lord. It's a deep tenderizing of hearts before the Lord, coming gentle, softening, and being humble. So cool. It's also been marked, obviously, by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's been marked by the love, the tangible feeling and sense, and maybe awareness, revelation of the love of the Father, the Heavenly Father. And all through it out, the language they use is that Jesus has the spotlight, <laughs> which I love. Jesus has the spotlight. And so we, we need God to pour out his, his power and presence in our life, in our church. And this is what's going to be compelling to the next generation and to, even just to our generation. Will it look like something like this? Maybe not. But maybe it'll look like a heart being transformed as we walk with the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit are giving birth in our life. What was once dead is coming alive. This is the idea of revival. Maybe it's, maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a numb heart. Maybe it's feelings of depression. 
Whatever the case may be, this is what God is offering, though. It's, it's the renewal. <clears throat> so for the rest of our time, I want to walk through what I think is a blueprint. Maybe you can use a different word, but I feel like it's an it's a aspect of a blueprint for this kind of stuff and for what God is asking us to do from the scriptures, for us to join Jesus and his mission to be an extension of the mission of Jesus to bring healing and renewal. Even in the midst of crisis, even in the midst of all of the chaos. So let's jump in to this, this view of this blueprint in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and can you give me a little serviette? <laughs> uh, thanks, man. Thank you. Yeah, so from, from the text, um, I want to talk about, and some other passages, from, from chapter 2 and other passages, I want to talk about two main ideas. I want to talk about the outpouring of the Spirit. What is this? Let's talk about this a little bit. And then I want to talk about our condition as a child of God, hence the interview we did. Just this reality, what's our identity as children, sons and daughters of God? And so let's start off in Acts chapter 2. Let's jump in here. But actually, before, a little bit of context. Acts chapter 2, right before that, Jesus comes. He lives. He is righteous, and he's, he's the suffering servant. He's, there's miracles, and there's discipling, and there's the unpacking of the Old Testament. There's teaching, the proclamation of the kingdom. And then he is crucified for his claims. And then he is buried for three days, and then he rose again to life on the third day, right? By the way, let's never let that become just boring to us. You know, some of us are so church, yeah, 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 yeah. Point, point, point. No, 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 this is, this is God relinquishing his, his power. I can go on a tangent about this. Let's just, let's just keep, let's just stay raw to that beauty of the gospel. So Jesus is resurrected, and then he reappears to his disciples. This is where we started to catch up in Acts 2. He reappears to them, and he's basically like, don't do this kingdom thing, this kingdom mission on your own. Like, you just can't, <laughs> right? Don't do it on your own. Peter, I love your heart, but your follow-through kind of stinks. <laughs> You're going to need some power. And so go and pray and wait for the outpouring of the Spirit. There's just teachings on all of those right there. But let's jump into Acts chapter 2 finally, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Let's stop there for a second. So Luke, the author of, of Acts, reports of this mighty wind. What, is, what does that make you think of? Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit right. Yeah, the, the word itself. Ruach, it's the wind. Numa. Absolutely. Also, it evokes or brings to mind uh, a theophany, right? The revealing of God himself. And so often throughout the scripture, this, this wind accompanies the revealing of, of God's tangible presence. I, I used to live in Florida, in central Florida, and senior year of high school, um, I had just moved from Toronto, Canada, and I didn't really understand like, how Florida works and all of the culture and the weather. 
And so I'm just like this Toronto, Torontonian, this Canadian guy coming down to Florida, and I hear some news that a hurricane's coming through, and I was like, I don't even know what that is. Hurricane? Some rain? And so I go, uh, I was like, I don't, I, don't, I don't care about a hurricane. And so I was like, hey, I called up some friends, and we just went to the park and started to play some basketball, even though Hurricane Charlie was coming through. And if anyone remembers Charlie, hurricane, this is a category four hurricane. <laughs> so we're out there playing basketball, just so stupid. <laughs> and then the, literally, like, it was like this weird feeling. It was like this invasion of a whole other atmosphere was coming, right? It's just like dark cloud. And then the, the wind was pushing me around. And I was like, oh, man, I got like really scared, actually. And I started running home. And I remember just being like tossed and turned by the wind. I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm stuck in a hurricane. Like, what am I doing? I finally ran home and opened the door. And I was like, I almost got caught in a hurricane. And then, then I jumped in the pool because that's what you do. <laughs> jumped in the swimming pool. Dude, when I was a teenager, I was such an idiot. But uh, all that to say is, <laughs> I don't have a major point with that. But the wind, the wind was happening in this situation. And it was like, the, it says that it was the, it sounded like a rushing wind. And so I'm not sure exactly what that's like, but I do think that the author, or Luke, is making it clear to, to the readers, to the audience and to the readers, that this was more than the omnipresence of God. Okay, you follow? This was more than just like God being God and being everywhere, right? Omni being like of deity, I think, and presence. This was more than that. This was the manifest presence of God. They were all feeling it. And it was more than just a psychological experience. They were, there was a force. And so I, I want to quickly talk about the difference between the two. I think sometimes we can get confused. It's like, Lord, would you come? It's like, well, he's already here, dude. But at the same time, I think there's a difference between the omnipresence and the manifest presence of God, okay? So the omnipresence, I have a list for you, is biblical. It is real, true to God's nature. God is everywhere. Yes, it is theological, available to all, universal. It is passive. It is impersonal, and it is abstract. The manifest presence, here's a list. It is biblical. It is real. It is true to God's nature. God is perceived locally. It's transformational. It's particular. It's personal. It involves pursuit. It's covenantal, meaning it's, relation, it's relational. The manifest presence of God is relational. And then it's specific. And so it's important to see, excuse me, that there is a huge shift taking place with the people of God. For millennia, this wasn't necessarily a common commonplace, right? It was like these special times of the outpouring of the glory of God. But something significant is taking place on Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And so God initiates this new promissory relationship through Jesus, this new covenant. And it's not in the temple of Jerusalem. It happens in the people. It happens in the people. And so the place that the presence of God is now manifest is not in an old covenant system or an old brick temple. It's placed in the hearts of the people of God. 
And so we need to remember that this, that we are not functioning from a religious ritualistic system based on old kind of concepts. We are a part of a new covenant and a relationship with God that brings renewal. And I think some of this stuff is like a little bit, seems a little bit heady. It's like a new covenant. But this is where the Holy Spirit comes in and he makes these things come alive to our hearts. And so I think we need to reclaim this priority. We, we need to reclaim that we are now the new bearers of God's presence. And this is what's going to be compelling to the next generation, this authentic, authentic relationship. We're talking about covenant, relational authenticity, and based on this covenant, this everlasting covenant that God has made with himself that we get to join in through with faith and the power of renewal. This is what's going to compel the next generation. Verse 3. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So, in the Old Testament, when God's glory shows up, when his manifest presence is revealed, it shows up often as fire. So, when God makes a covenant with Abraham, he appears as a blazing torch. When Moses, when God first appears to Moses for the first time, he appears as what? Burning bush. And when he appears to the people of Israel on Mount Sinai, he appears as fire and smoke. So we can talk about Ezekiel, there's others. And so God reveals, when he reveals his glory in a relational way, he reveals it as a burning fire. And I think that this is a picture of there's something happening in the natural. You're seeing this fire, but it's really a sort of a reflection and a parallel of what happens in the spiritual. How many of you guys know that there's a parallel, right? Between the, the natural and the supernatural, the spiritual realm. And it happens oftentimes in us. And so in Luke, let me just show you an example. In Luke chapter 24, and I'm pretty sure the author, so Luke is the author of Luke and Acts. It's really one set, Luke Acts. And so he's, he's probably doing this on purpose, but we look this in, in verse 32, 24th chapter. And so Jesus had resurrected, he left, but then he reappears to some of his disciples. And he's sort of like, I'm like, Jesus, what you doing? Like, he's like, you, you couldn't, he couldn't rec- you, they couldn't recognize him some of the time. He's just like hanging out, doing stuff. And it's like, they don't even know it's Jesus. And then their eyes get opened. It's like awakening. And they're like, oh my gosh, it's Jesus. And so this happens. He's, he finds these two guys walking and he breaks bread with them. And, he, and the scriptures say that he opens the scripture with them. <clears throat> and so verse 32, they asked each other, So by the way, he disappears. He's with them, and then he disappears. And they ask each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? It's this picture of burning in the presence of God. Imagine Jesus himself coming, hey, I want to open the scripture with you. Let me teach you some stuff. Wouldn't that be awesome? How many of you guys know that that still happens? Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus comes and he reveals, he opens the scriptures with us. Let's keep that in mind. So all throughout the scripture, God reveals 
his glory and his presence through this idea of burning and fire. So back, back in uh, chapter two of Acts. So the presence of God comes down from heaven and rests on who? So verse three, all the apostles, right? The fire of God comes down and only rests on the apostles and leaders. Is that what it says? No, it's no, not what it says. It says that the presence of God comes down and rests on each of them. Each of them. And I, th- I just love this, this like, like, I love God, and I just love that they're making p- this point. And I sometimes it's like, oh, like, it's just that anointed leader, that anointed teacher or pastor or whatever. No, we all get to be bearers of, this, of God's presence. Every believer now is a burning bush. You are a burning bush of God's presence. Do we realize that? I don't know if I realize that. Like, I walk into a coffee shop. I don't realize I'm carrying the glory of God's presence. I just want my dirty chai latte. <laughs> if you haven't had a dirty chai, by the way, put a shot of espresso in your, dirty, in your chai. Ooh, so good. But I'm, you know, when you're walking to and fro, when you're living your life, are, are, you, are we at least have like some kind of awareness that like, I am the temple of God. We as the church are the temple of God. I'm a part of that. I'm a member of that. I'm connected to that. Do I carry God's presence? Am I, am I, do I have that consciousness? I know that I can grow in it, and we can all grow in it. And like when we come to church, it's not like, all right, we'll see how it is. We'll see how church is going to be. No, you're coming in with the presence of God. <laughs> and you're unifying with others, other saints who are carrying the presence of God. And when that happens with faith, revival can break out. So do we carry this in our workplace? Do we carry this at the grocery store or at home when we're parenting our kids or being alone and watching, you know, just whatever the case may be, are we aware of these things? So I just want us to be recaptivated by this reality. And I think it's going to take some time just to like sit with that. I, I, I'm actually working through like this rejection and orphan spirit. I'm, I'm carrying God's presence. But just let me tell you that God is available to bring us into this reality. And so the presence of God has now come upon and into every single believer. And so we want to reclaim this. And so maybe, the, maybe one of the questions is, what does this look like? Like, what does this feel like, this outpouring of the Spirit? Okay, I don't know if you've ever asked yourself that question. Maybe you have images in your mind, like, of what it looks like. And I, maybe we can have exaggerated options right now, but I'm not going to do that. And um, I'll get in hot water, but... <clears throat> I think that what we actually see in the scripture, um, we need to take into account the full scope of the narrative of the, of the Bible. I think sometimes denominations, and I've done it too, where we can fixate on certain passages and then ex- extrapolate whole doctrines from like one passage and then overemphasize that in our expression of church, if you follow, right? So we need to be holistic. That's where systematic theology comes in, and we need to be considerate of all of the components of the scripture. So one of the threads that I see, one of the threads that I see about this outpouring of the spirit, particularly in the New Testament, you know, this thread that runs through it, is that the Holy Spirit, like, like Jerry was talking about, speaks identity over us. I don't know if we always think about that, like the outpouring of the spirit, identity, what? But I, I, I think so, and let me just give you a few verses to, 
maybe confirm that. <clears throat> so when the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus, when at Jesus' baptism, right, what does the voice from heaven say? This is my son whom I'm well pleased. You are my son, and I delight in you. That exchange taking place when the Holy Spirit comes, is that a coincidence? So maybe you're like, well, okay, that was Jesus, though. I don't, I'm not Jesus. Let me just tell you that if you feel that way, it's okay. But I'm also here to remind you that, and I remind myself, the union that Jesus has with the Father is the same union that we get to have with the Father. Do we, do we know that? Do we realize that? Do I realize that? No, no, that's Jesus. And I'm just like, I'm kind of sneaking in. <laughs> no, we're, we're talking, it's not like this tiered union. Yeah, that's the outer tier of union. No, this is full union. And so the, the process of sanctification is coming into that union with Jesus. But this is what's available. Anyway, we are children of God in union with the Father. Let's also look at Romans chapter 8, verse 16. And Paul's talking to all Christians. And he says this in, in verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, we are children of God. Galatians chapter four, verse, verse six. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so what is the outpouring of the spirit feels like? It feels like a fresh knowing in our hearts, that God is our Father, and that we are sons and daughters, and that He delights in us, and that we are a part of a royal family full of purpose and meaning and hope in a hopeless world, and deep intimacy in a world full of isolation. So, I might just pivot here for the sake of time, but we talked about. We talked about the orphan spirit, and I feel like this orphan spirit, this spirit of rejection, is very pervasive, and it's poisoning a whole generation. And so the antidote and the cure for this is the Holy Spirit, and in and, and, and the work of Jesus and the Father working together to speak sonship over us. And so... Let me read this last passage, or maybe not last, but we'll move here to John chapter 14. If you, keep my, if you love me, keep my commands. <clears throat> Think of uh, the surrender solution right at the middle is love and obey. If you love me, keep my commands. Verse 16, and I'll ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you be with, um, and you will be with, and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Amen. And so our call, friends, is to join Jesus and to allow the Spirit of God to reverse this curse of the orphan spirit and this rejection in our life. And throughout the throughout the book of, of John through 14, 15, and 16. We don't have time to read those chapters right now, but essentially Jesus is saying that it's the Holy Spirit that will take what I've told you and what I've taught you 
the Gospels and make them come alive to your heart and they become a fiery, burning reality in your heart and in your life. And this comes through the Holy Spirit. I'm going to call up the team here to kind of land the plane. You know, uh, two weeks ago, I preached a message and the focus was on sacrificial worship. You guys remember that? And we talked about Abraham and Isaac, how God tested Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. And we walked through that and we saw this play out and then we kind of realized that this was a foreshadowing of what God was willing to do with Jesus, right? Except it wasn't a test, it was it's gonna really happen. And I remember just being really like torn up and I was trying to personalize it with my son Judah, which is like just a really dark thing to even think about, but this is what God has done for, for, my, for my sins. And I remember just kind of walking through that and at the end, and it was just such a powerful, powerful Sunday. I think there was a humility in the room and the spirit poured out. And uh, afterwards, my dad came up to me, my dad's up here, and he came up to me and he just, with like tears in his eyes, just like hugged me. <laughs> and in that moment, like I was just like, kind of, I was just kind of, I was just trying to keep it together. I was just like, so I was really feeling emotional. And uh, he just hugged me. He's like, I love you. And I'm proud of you. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not too old for this. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I was just kind of thinking about that. And I was like, was I more his son, like before or after in the middle of that hug, that embrace? Was I more his son being embraced than I was before or after? You know? And I was like, legally, no. Um, intellectually, not really. And I know that he's my dad. But when I was being embraced, like experientially, I felt like I was, it was more. I made the all the difference. And like tangibly, I knew that I was his son and I felt it, you know? You know what I'm saying? And I feel like that's what the Holy Spirit does. We know the truth of the scriptures. We know the Father, but the Holy Spirit comes and like makes it tangible. It's the embrace of the gospel. It's the embrace of Jesus and the Father. And so I just want us to continue to practice the ways of Jesus and to obey in the trajectory of the scripture and of the apostles and lean on the Holy Spirit. He's so good. He's so, so gentle, so powerful, created the world, wrote the Bible. But sometimes we just forget he's not even, we just forget he's, he's, he's right here. And so I, what I wanted us to do is just kind of shift into a little bit of a ministry time and just allow our hearts to take on more of a posture of maybe instead of just listening, um, maybe of prayer, a posture of worship and prayer in this place. And we'll welcome the Holy Spirit. And I, and I, I have a lot of faith that some of us might need to be broken off of this orphan spirit, this spirit of rejection, some, some pain, some trauma that's happened, um, if you're willing. So would you pray with me? And if you feel comfortable, just put your hands out like this. Not as an empty ritual, but as a, as a declaration of faith that we are here to receive and that we don't have anything on our own. We're empty-handed. 
So Holy Spirit, would you come? We know that you're here, but would you come with your manifest presence? Would you just say that with me? Holy Spirit, come. You're welcome here, God. And just open your hearts. It takes conceding. Just concede, yield, receive. Yeah, just wait. So Lord, we just declare you as, as, as that, as Lord. And, and that we love you and we're your children. And we want to live out the calling of the church to be compelling, to walk in our true identity as sons and daughters of God. And we also welcome the spiritual gifts. That's really just the expression of empowered love that comes from you, God. And so in this place, would you pour out your love, especially those who just need the Father's touch. So many of us are just needing the Father's touch, God. Those of us who've been abandoned or hurt or life situations, complexities with our, with our earthly father, but we need your, your embrace, Heavenly Father. So Holy Spirit, would you facilitate that? Come with your love right now. Come with your love. Yeah, just receive it. We love you, God. We love you.